It's old-timey crimey. I am Christy. And I am Amber. And we are here this week with your weekly dose of historical true crime. And we have quite the tale to tell you. Indeed we do. It's, it's really something. It's got swamps. It's got frog giggers. It's got sex. It's got possibly sex. Maybe sex. <laughs> Maybe sex. We'll talk about that. So before we get to that, don't forget about the Patreon. That is patreon.com slash oldtimeycrimey. Amber and I are currently on an adventure through the serial slings in Aurora in the 1910s that nobody has ever really solved. So we know we're not going to solve it, but we're still going to try. We're going to talk about it at least. Yeah, we're going to talk about it like a lot. So this week we talked about a tango teacher who met a bad end. The tango teacher and the train. Yes, the tango teacher and the train. (laughs) Then we're going to do a second part of that next week because it goes, as I said, without even thinking about the fact that it was a pun, off the rails. Oh. (laughs) Yeah. Oopsie. So yes, don't forget about that, and you'll hear more about that later in the episode. So, let's talk about... The Siren of the Swamp. Let's. Yes. All right. We're going to start with the Great Flood of 1927. It was the most destructive river flood in U.S. history. Yep. That's what happens when I orgasm. (laughs) Don't do that when I'm taking a drink. (laughs) I almost flooded Christy. (laughs) Jesus. So it started in the spring of 1927. And according to Wikipedia... 27,000 square miles of land were covered with water. It was a good day. Uh, not for most people, no, but... Uh, for me. <laughs> depths up to 30 feet. And the whole fiasco lasted for several months. Over 630,000 people were left homeless. 500 were dead. The cost of the damages were estimated to be somewhere between $246 million and $1 billion. That's old-timey money. That is not modern valuations. Modern would be somewhere between 1 billion and 16 and a half million. Yeah, sorry about that. I was time traveling and he had a quick tongue. (laughs) You really need to uh, get get that time machine out of your hands. It's dangerous. It's very dangerous. And so flood water was still receding that summer in July. So we're gonna go to Morgan City, Louisiana. In July of 1927, I'm sure it was hot and sticky and humid and there were bugs everywhere. Oh my God, yeah, it's a swamp. There are bugs everywhere. Mm-hmm. And the population of Morgan City was mostly hunters, trappers, fishermen. It's just about as far south as you can go in Louisiana. And so over at Lake Pelor, which by the way, originally meant Clam Lake, Pelor is... Uh, Clam in French. Okay. There were some men, three of them, and they were out frog gigging on the lake. So hunting frogs. Well, so they would catch the frogs and then sell them to local restaurants because a lot of restaurants down there would have like frog legs and things like that. Mm -hmm. So it it was good money. Probably decent, yeah. And also I would imagine a lot of fun to just be in a canoe with spears and be like, I'm gonna kill some things. Like, I would have fun with that. I have a canoe. I have a spear. Boom. 
Let's, let's go, do it. Let's go frog gigging. I can't do that though. I'm a frog wrangler. It's against the code. Oh, I was a temporary frog wrangler, so I probably can't either. Damn it. There go our plans for tonight. So. All right, so we'll just stab things that aren't frogs. Yeah, that works. That works. Everything but frogs. Yes. We're everything but frog giggers. So these men are out frog gigging on the lake. The boat was in three to four feet of water and hit a body. Now, Harold Schechter says in Psycho USA, quote, its face eaten away by crabs, its belly slit open, its neck and feet weighted with heavy metal brackets. And these were 150 pound railroad angle irons, two of them. So 300 pounds. So you're thinking if somebody sank this body with 300 pounds of weight on it, how the hell did it become visible? It didn't float. The floodwaters had receded, shifting the dumping spot from a, a nice deep one, where the body probably won't be found ever, to a shallow one where it will be found very quickly. Yeah, which was really disappointing to me because I feel like whoever did this probably knew the swamp at least a little bit. Mm-hmm. And would know that usually that spot is shallow. And really, if the body had been dumped an equal distance in the opposite direction, according to the Daily Review, a newspaper from Morgan City, the depth would have been 200 feet. Yep, nobody was finding that body. So uh, this is from the World's News. Quote, the killer had overlooked the recent floods, which not only set up strong currents in Lake Pelor, but also chose this time to recede. During the week following the murder, the body had gradually been sucked shoreward to marshy ground. Otherwise, it might never have been found. Just a little trick of fate. Or bad planning. I'm gonna go with bad planning. Yep. So the frog giggers get word to the authorities. It's pretty tough work trying to identify this body because of how it's been exposed to the elements, to the water. The lack of a face. The lack of a face, the, the crabs eating things, the bloating, all this stuff. And then they notice the thumbs. The really ugly thumbs. Apparently, yes. He had club-shaped thumbs. Just I, I think they were just like big and kind of bulbous, it seems to me. And they, they're like, these are Jim LaBeouf's thumbs. I know this guy. I'd, I'd, I'd know these thumbs anywhere. I'd know him in the dark. Don't ask why. So... Because that, that was really weird to me. Like, I definitely know these thumbs. I've seen these thumbs do things. Yeah, that's that's probably one of the more interesting ways I've seen of identifying a body. Yeah. So, by the thumbs. Well, I guess if you have any sort of deformity and it's a small town in Louisiana, everybody knows everybody else. This guy was really well known. Mm -hmm. And it would be like similar to like my shop teacher that was missing fingers where it's like, yeah, I, I know these hands. But that could be a shop teacher from another town because my shop teacher was also missing fingers. It was like a shop teacher thing. It's a requirement. It is. You, you need to be able to show the students what happens if you do things wrong. Well, that's actually how my shop teacher lost his finger. Yeah, that's how they all lost their fingers. Yeah, I'm going to show you the wrong way to do it. Ah! <laughs> Horrifying. <laughs> Look at your ass. Oh man, I should have kept screaming so I could try to make my cock shape. She really wants to turn the, the waves on the screen into a, a penis. So I, she's I trying do. real hard. <laughs> Not hard enough. Amber has dreams. I do, and they're very weird dreams. So this was Jim LaBeouf. He was a local guy. He was 
43 years old, and he was the supervisor, superintendent, manager, whatever you want to call it, of Morgan City Power and Light. So he was pretty well known and had these thumbs. The cause of death was determined to be that he was shot in the side twice with buckshot, and then hopefully he was already dead when someone slit his torso open. Yep, you gotta disembowel him to make sure that they don't bloat up and float. I think that was the goal. You, if you disembowel them, they'll sink. Yeah, yeah. Just in case those three hundred pounds of weight don't do the trick, then the, there will be nothing to float up, and then we'll be good to go. And unless the floodwaters recede. Well, but the thing with weighting a body is like, okay, I, I, Amber's crime tips of the day. <laughs> so if you would say like tie it around the head and the legs. Eventually, as the body decomposes, the head would fall off, the legs would fall off, and then the rest of the body would float up. And so even though you have weights and it will work for a time, eventually, through decomposition, those weights will snap off the body parts that they're tied to, and the rest will float upwards. So I think the hope was that you could do that, and then the torso wouldn't just pop off and float. And this is Ben. Crime tips from Amber. You're welcome. Amber's thoughts and opinions are not endorsed by old-timey crimey. Terms and conditions may apply. I am probably on a do-not-fly list. Member FDIC. So, <laughs> so who was Jim LaBeouf? Okay, let's talk about him. He was born James Joseph Clodimer LaBeouf. That is a hell of a name. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. I don't think I could find it even if I tried. Uh... Clodimer? I don't know. I like Clodimer. Clodimer works, yeah. So he was born in June 1884 in Terrebonne Parish, Louisiana. And his father died when his mother was just three months along with Jim. So his mother, Arlene, his older sister, Marie, and Jim were on their own for nine years until Arline met and married a man named William Henry Husband. Oh. Which feels kind of faded or obvious. I'm not sure. A little too on the nose there. Yeah, like, I feel like somebody wrote this story and was like, I'm out of names, husband. There you go. Yeah. So they adopted uh, a daughter, Anna, who was five. And interestingly, at least according to Find a Grave, Jim and Marie, they are listed in the census with the last name McHusband, which... It's the latest item on the value meal at McDonald's. Get yourself a McHusband with fries. <laughs> I can't imagine that would be any good at all. <laughs> no. I think we're veering into corporate cannibalism. Well, I'm all for cannibalism. Yes, I know. But like, so McDonald's is awful as is. And so like McHusband, I feel like, is not only going to make me sick to my stomach, but will also probably punch me in the face. <laughs> entirely possible. But for $2, you too can have a McHusband <laughs> covered in barbecue sauce. Just go to your local drive-thru. I'm going to do that. So at 22, Jim married Ada Regina Bonner. Now she was a middle child of five kids. Her father also died pretty young at only 54 when she was just 15. And she was just shy of 18 when she and Jim got married. In a little over a year, 
they had their first child, Joseph, and were living in Morgan City. Over the next 11 years, they added three more kids to the bunch, Ernest, Herman, and Ada Liberty. All right. Somebody was feeling patriotic that day. So three boys and a girl, although some newspapers and other sources say they had five kids, so possibly another one wandering around somewhere. Now, Jim had no formal education. He had worked in his life as a a farmer, a teamster, an ice house engineer, and eventually he got that job at the power company, and it's not really recorded, but it just seems like he probably started somewhere near the bottom or the middle and just rose up to become the superintendent. It's, that's an impressive feat, especially with no formal education. So Morgan City's a small town. It had about 2,300 residents when they got married. And over the next uh, decade would shoot up to 5,500. That was around 1910. And it just kind of hung around that number for the next few decades. Nobody, nobody was moving much. They weren't moving in. They weren't moving out. And they weren't really dying either. So Or birthing. <laughs> Or maybe they were just doing enough birthing to replenish the debt. Yes, yes, that, that's probably accurate. Uh, lovely thoughts that I have in my head. So Ada stayed home with the kids. They lived in a nice part of town. They had a two-story house. Everything just seemed pretty all-American and wholesome from the outside, you know? You got your nice house, you got your kids, you got a good job. Wife stays home. But as Harold Schechter tells us in the book that, oh, by the way, uh, Psycho USA was uh, given to us by uh, Paul. Paul. So thank you, Paul. <laughs> it has become quite the resource. So yeah, he tells Schechter tells us that these appearances were quite deceiving. Quote, their more intimate friends, however, knew that the marriage was troubled. Jim was a wildly jealous husband, resentful even of Ada's female intimates, and he'd been known to express his displeasure with his fists. So he was a dick bag. So she couldn't even have female friends without him getting violent. That's, that's shitty. That's not great. Aside from probably beating his wife, Jim liked to hunt. I feel like those things kind of go hand in hand sometimes. Sometimes, not all the time, for sure. Like, I'm not ripping on hunters because I appreciate it. But, um, like, he had a lot of anger, it feels like. And he was angry all the time. And so when he couldn't take it out on his wife, he could take it out on uh, poor defenseless animals. Yeah, pretty much. Because, like, this does not sound like the type of guy to me that hunts for food. He hunts for the joy of the kill. Yeah, hunting is probably pretty attractive in general to people who are prone to violence. It just, it just makes sense because it is a, an effective violent act, but it's one that can't really get you into trouble. It's illegal violence. Yeah, there you go. Another local man was also pretty into hunting, and that was Dr. Thomas Dreher. Let's talk about this gentleman. Let's talk about Thomas. (laughs) It's Tom time! So this is another local, quote-unquote, good family. He was born in 1872, so he was 12 years older than James and 17 years older than Ada. He had a wife, Gertrude. This poor woman's maiden name was Crone. Oh. Yeah, you want to marry real quick to ditch that last I name. really wish that Crone would have married husband. Yeah. <laughs> Mick husband. Mick husband. <laughs> this is the Crone Mick husband family. 
they had three kids, two boys and a girl, and he was also well-known locally. The World's News described him as, quote, handsome, a natty dresser, popular with his women patients. And his wife was also high up in society. And not only was Tom Dreyer a doctor, he also co-owned a local drugstore and was at one point high up in the KKK. That's the Ku Klux Klan, a racist organization for our non-American listeners. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which was considered like, oh, yeah, he must be, you know, a, a good family man if he's willing to go out there with that pointy white hood and, you know. Yeah, like in my notes, it literally says, once held a high office in the KKK. All right, fuck him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I was like, oh, he sounds like a good gent. No. Yeah, it, it, it all takes a very quick turn for yeah. the worse. <laughs> like as soon as I saw that, I'm like, nah, he's a dick. Mm -hmm. Now he was the family doctor for the LaBeoufs and Ada said he'd always been a good family friend and he had delivered her babies, which is about to get kind of creepy. Jim LaBeouf and the doctor would have been social peers and they ended up being hunting buddies. And then their party had a third in the form of Jim Beadle. So Jim Beadle billed himself as a local guide. I did that. <laughs> Jim Beadle billed himself. I know. As soon as he said it, I'm like, it sounds like Dr. Seuss. <laughs> I will not Jim Beadle on a boat? No. No. Gonna plow it. I'm gonna keep keep going. Gonna keep going. <laughs> so Jim Beadle was married to a woman named Alice. They had seven or eight kids. If Find a Grave is right, then they had five boys and three girls. He acted as sort of a friend and employee to Dreyer, kind of doing odd jobs. He's sort of from the other side as far as income and socioeconomic status and all that are concerned. And the World's News described him as, quote, Beetle was a skinny little man with glasses and a droopy mustache. Hey, he still got it in, though. <laughs> so he, uh, Jim Beetle did not get along well with LaBeouf, at least at one point. And the feeling was pretty mutual. LaBeouf had once borrowed Beetle's skiff, his boat, but apparently he, he had the the motto of better to ask forgiveness than permission, except he, he probably wouldn't ask for forgiveness either. Let's just get that straight. <laughs> Not the type. And so when Beetle discovered his missing skiff, he said he was going to kill LaBeouf. There's a lot going on underneath the surface already. We've got the domestic abuse behind closed doors, the extreme jealousy, this, you know, sort of rift between people who had not been friends, at least acquaintances, and, you know, gone out hunting together. So we've got a lot boiling, and then there's some more boiling. It, it's steamy, it is in fact. Steamy. <laughs> Dr. McSteamy, if you will. Dr. McSteamy, indeed, yes. Uh, yes, Dr. Dreher and Ada LaBeouf had, uh, according to local gossip, been having an affair for six years at this point in 1927. He made house calls frequently for her quote-unquote headaches. I know the perfect cure for a headache. <laughs> I'll pound that headache right out of you, but in a good way. She later told one newspaper that she had a tumor and needed an operation, 
And he would come by to treat her and just hang out for half an hour or an hour, quote, just passing the time of day. Well, and there was also supposedly a code. Yes. That she would use to let him know that she had a headache and he should come over. No, I think it was the opposite. It was when it was my husband's home is what this code meant. So it was a pillow slip in the window meant he was home. Yes. And no slip meant that he was away. And so it kind of looked like she was just hanging out the washing Mm -hmm. when he was home. And if he was away, all the wash came down. To let the good doctor know that uh, he should come over and visit. And treat her for her maladies. Francine Middleton is a librarian down in that area, and she's dug a lot into this case. She has a theory that the doctor was seeing Ada so much, not even because of headaches or a tumor. That was kind of the public-facing excuse, but because of her being beaten by Jim. And that is actually really, really possible, and that would also explain why she would want to signal him that her husband was out. Mm -hmm. You can come and treat my wounds now. Yeah, like, he just beat the shit out of me. Please come help me. I think my arm is broke. And, And so, like, the papers at the time really painted this as it was some sort of torrid affair, but it's possible that there was no affair. And it could have been both, even. Yeah. It could have been. Why not both? Yeah. It could have been when he saw that that pillowcase was gone, he was like, well, I'm either going to, you know, get to bandage her up or I'm going to get to bandage her up. (laughs) I don't know how I just made that into innuendo, but I did. (laughs) I pictured it. So (laughs) I'm just as bad because I'm like, yeah, I bet she was into being tied up a little bit. (laughs) I mean, we don't know that, but. We don't know that. But it could have been one, the other, or both. Or even something that hasn't even been conjectured yet. We don't know what, what was going on behind closed doors. All we know is what they later said and what people around town said. And then that was reported in the newspapers and presented as fact. Yeah, so like they very well might not have had an affair. It was very much painted that they did. Mm-hmm. But it's completely possible. And I think you have a really good point with especially the the violence in the home that Maybe he was just, like, helping her after a particularly violent argument. hmm Yeah. So, and there could have been some emotional comfort there, too. And having someone come and tend to her and help her, you know, when she's had to deal with this violence in her home. Well, and she's not even allowed to have friends. So it's very possible that they just became very close friends. hmm And then she has that excuse of, oh, well, it's my headaches. So there's several possible things that could have been going on. And any one of them or a combination of them is possible. (laughs) This was one thing, though. There was a lot of local gossip about it. The World's News, which is a newspaper out of Australia, actually, but the the article that they published, I think, was first published in Ellery Queen magazine, which was a crime magazine. Um, They called the local rumors, quote, behind the barn obscenities. Oh. Which sounds like more than gossiping. (laughs) It does. <laughs> it sounds Behind like, the barn. It sounds like what people were saying that Ada and the doctor were doing. That <laughs> they're committing some behind-the-barn obscenities. There you go. In 1925, if the timeline as reported is correct, this would be about four years into the affair, Dreyer's wife got an anonymous letter from what they call, quote, a woman across the tracks that seemed to kind of blow some shit up. 
The letter read, quote, Two nights ago, there was a lady and a man in that empty shack in the bayou. One of them was Ada LaBeouf, and the other was your husband. Now, Ada's claim about this is that the woman had been in love with the doctor when she was younger, and she's just trying to get him away from his wife, or she's jealous, or something like that. And Ada said that was one of many letters. She did say that the letter writer's husband apologized later on, but it was kind of a situation where the damage had been done. And we'll get into that. But um, as she put it, Ada herself, by that time, the whole town was talking and I couldn't cross the street without being grinned at. The whole thing had gone beyond apologies. My husband's mind was poisoned. He saw meanings in the simplest doings of everyday life. So Frere's wife went to Jim LaBeouf and told him about this letter that implicated her husband and his wife in an affair. And Jim LaBeouf then turned around and beat Ada and also threatened her life. He said if he ever got proof that it was true, he would kill her. And then he basically beat her and made her life hell for two years. She actually said... I don't believe this, but she actually said that prior to that, he'd been, quote, devoted and quiet, a good husband to me and a good father to the children until all of this started. I just don't, I don't buy it so much then. I don't buy it. I think it was, it wasn't that bad before that. Like maybe it was just some snarky digs at her or the occasional slap, which still is abuse. But, you know, is not, you know, a a broken bone or something that requires medical attention. And that's usually... You can see it building, like, you can't have your friends over, you can't have friends, probably knocked her around a little bit, but not bad, like, not closed fist beatings. Yes, abuse, but not as as detrimental to her physical health. But it builds. Yeah, it, it escalates. And I think that's what happened. And so she's like, well, it never used to be like this. She's like, it was only a little bad before, and now all of a sudden it's a lot bad. Mm-hmm. So... He really lost the plot. At one point, Jim LaBeouf took his wife's clothes, put them on, and then drove around town at sundown. He was hoping to run into Dr. Dreher, who would think that Jim LaBeouf was Ada, and then let enough slip that LaBeouf could justify shooting him to death with the shotgun that was riding shotgun. He had a shotgun riding shotgun. Well, and then in, in Psycho USA, it it said that he would hide in the back seat with the shotgun and make Ada drive around, hoping to run into the good doctor so that he could shoot him. I'm pretty sure all of this happened. Sometimes he was like, I'm just going to borrow your clothes for a little while and take the car out, honey. And sometimes he was like, no, I need you to drive around. I'll be in the backseat with my gun. No reason, no reason whatsoever. I just don't feel like wearing a corset today, sweetheart. Yeah. I'm a little bloated. Then it seems that things reached a breaking point. And Ada could not take this anymore. She told the doctor in her telling, she told the doctor that they had to meet up with Jim on the lake, quote, where we could tell my husband the truth of it all and have it done with. She doesn't specify what that truth is, which is, again, where some of the fogginess as far as what actually was going on comes from. But so she, that was, that was her side of the story. 
And then well, a little while later, six days later, that body was found. So according to Ada, Jim had left for Lafayette on business on July 1st. That's about 70 miles away. And his company called her on July 2nd because they're like, he didn't show up for work. This doesn't happen. And she's like, oh, well, he's on a business trip. And the power company people were like, he, he doesn't just run off on a business trip without like giving his aides a heads up and a briefing, you know, here's your assignments. Here's what you need to take care of. Keep an eye on this. Keep an eye on that in case of emergency, blah, blah, blah. But people didn't just jump to, oh, he's, you know, at the bottom of the lake. They thought maybe he'd run off to another state on the sly to get a divorce. Ooh. And then Dreher's story is that he had gotten a note from Ada with a very simple request. Get rid of Jim. It was reported later that the note said, quote, you better get him before he gets you. And of course, Ada would deny that particular version of the story. And she even said, you know, this is what we'll do. I'll get Jim out on the lake and tell him that you guys are going to hash things out and then do the deed. Dreher went out on the lake on the night of July 1st, 1927 with Jim Beadle. Meanwhile, Jim LaBeouf borrowed a boat from a local dude to go out on the lake, and that was the last he was seen alive. Now, there's no clear picture of what exactly happened. There's questions about whether Ada was there in a boat of her own, questions about whether Beadle or Dreher did the shooting. As the world's news slash Ellery Queen put it, Quote, the stories told by Ada and Dr. Dreher changed so many times in the next few weeks in essential details that even the trained mental gymnast finds himself muscle-bound. Yeah, because, like, I have in my notes that the note said that Ada and her husband were going to go out boating on the lake around 8 p.m. There was a witness that saw the doctor and Jim Beadle drive with Jim Beadle's skiff tied to the car. And so it's like, if all it said was, we'll be on the lake at 8 p.m., which is kind of my thought, is all that note said. So the note itself was not incriminating, mm -hmm. but they had had some sort of prior conversation and plan of what was going on, whether that be to mend the friendship I call bullshit. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I guess a lot of people did go out on the lake with shotguns for alligators. Sure. Or... <laughs> Lots of frogs. <laughs> yeah, shoot up those frogs. We really don't know exactly what happened, but we know that the end result was Jim LaBeouf was shot twice, sort of field-dressed to prevent floating, weighted down to prevent floating even more, and then dumped in. Now, as for the incisions that were made in this field dressing, the Daily Review reported, quote, his abdomen was viciously slashed two ways with some sharp instrument. And according to the doctor who was present for the autopsy, it was a perfect incision and seemed to have been done by someone skilled in surgery. That definitely does seem to implicate Dreher, but Beetle is also an outdoorsman. You field dress sometimes. Mm -hmm. Part of hunting, you get really good at it. So we're still at could go either way. So there is this report that Ada said, well, I was there when it happened, but I don't know who did it. 
Her story was that she had asked the two men to get together to work something out. And this is what she said. I had to do something to end the hell I had lived for those two years, but Jim's jealousy drove him mad. She said that then when they went out on the lake, her husband brought a gun. When Jim and the doctor met up in their boats, Jim cursed the doctor and told him to stay away from Ada. Quote, then he fired. Somebody fired back. I am sure it was not the doctor. He and Jim Beetle were in the other boat. So you can definitely see her pointing in Jim Beetle's direction with a very accusatory finger. I'm not going to say who it was, but it wasn't the doctor. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it is. And so, like, all the reports we have are that he was shot in the side, as far as I can tell. What do you have? So he was shot twice in the left side, I believe. I got to find it in my notes. I believe it was the left side, and one of them was just under his heart. Okay. Because this is the how the World's News slash Ellery Queen ends their article about this. Quote, one question nobody seems to have answered. The stories of Dreher, Ada, and Beetle, so different in so many respects, all agreed in one thing, that Dreher called the LaBeouf across the water, that LaBeouf responded to Dreher's call by saying, yes, who is it? A gun was then fired from the Dreher boat at LaBeouf, killing him. When a man answers a hail in the dark, he will turn in the direction of the hail. How is it then that Jim LaBeouf was shot in the back? I'd say it, it's still somewhat valid because he's shot in the side. He definitely was not facing in the direction that the call had come from. No, but also I, I had in my notes that they were the boats were only four feet apart. Okay. They can't punch each other. They're a little too far away to punch each other. But they're only four feet apart. And at eight o'clock in the summer, it's not that dark. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. And that's the thing that doesn't make sense to me. Because everybody is making it seem like it is really dark. It's eight o'clock at night. Is that you, Jim? Yeah, who's there? It's still fucking light out. Is he, is he blind as a bat? Like... Well, Dreher, the doctor, has one bad eye. That was one thing that was brought up as, as a possible reason that he couldn't have done this and why he might have involved Jim Beadle in the first place is because they were going out at night and he would have a hard time seeing, but he, he goes out hunting. I don't understand that at all. It wouldn't have been that dark or hardly dark at all. And so that all just seems like... There's a lot in this that doesn't make any sense at all. That is true, yes. So to be shot in the side, it makes me think that there was not a confrontation, even though everybody's story is the same, as far as that piece goes. So my thought on the matter is, this is just my thought, okay. that Jim had bent down to get his gun. Okay, all right, Jim LaBeouf. Jim LaBeouf bent down to get his gun, and the two men in the other boat saw it and fired before he could. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, because if you're bent down, you're going to turn to the side to reach. They hit him on the left side underneath the heart, right in the meat, and it's buckshot, so it probably just destroyed all of his organs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Good theory. I like it. Well, because there, there's evidence later on that, that shows up that it's like, Jim LaBeouf definitely had a gun. Yeah. And so, 
with all of his threats of I'll kill you, I'll kill you, I'll kill everybody. I'm going to drive around and shoot people. Like, he's fucking crazy. And he likes guns. And I think that he was like, you know what, you son of a bitch? I've been looking for you. And he bends down to get the gun and, and gets blown up. Yeah, I would say that sounds like a very likely sequence of events. Yeah, yeah. and Jim LaBeouf is definitely a shooter-be-shot kind of person. Yeah, he really is, for sure. I think he knew that this one moment was shooter-be-shot, even if not intending to shoot Dreher. <laughs> like, he might have been, like, not even thinking it's shooter-be-shot. He might have been thinking, shoot, shoot! <laughs> yeah, I feel like, I, I've wanted to kill you. This is a good spot for it. Yeah, yeah. easy place to dump the body, and oh, I shouldn't have said that, because uh, <laughs> I shouldn't be giving you ideas. So uh, there was a book that I found that I'm going to get an actual physical copy of that uh, I'm not going to tell the title right now, because it's a little spoilery, but uh, you'll hear it in the sources if you're interested. And it's by Marlon Shipman, and this book uses newspaper accounts from the day related to criminal cases, specifically involving women. And it's just fascinating to me. It's a really good like media criticism piece and comparing and contrasting the different reports and how the reports from the media would change over time, how badly sourced they were. Really, I feel would be a helpful book for me because I'm just always so willing to believe everything. I believe nothing. (laughs) That's why we work well together. And so I'll just read something and take it at face value and I'm not employ critical thinking. And so I think this, this book already has helped me a little bit with that when I was looking at some of the coverage. So I think reading it fully, fully all the way through could really help. So I'm going to get my hands on that at some point soon here. But yeah, so Shipman's book tells us that before there was even a single charge or arrest, there were statements in like the Times-Picayune that said, Quote, if the killing of her husband by the physician had caused her remorse, that's Ada, of course, she has concealed it well. So there's not even any charges laid. But in fairness, if you were married to a person that beat this friggin' snot out of you all the time, would you feel sad that he was dead? I wouldn't. You probably wouldn't. There might be some conflicting feelings because maybe there was love in the beginning and, you know, father of your children and Even all that. with that, I imagine that it was predominantly relief. Yeah, I have to imagine. The relief probably was fleeting, though, when she was arrested a few hours prior to the funeral of her husband. And soon after that, the police arrested Dreyer and Beadle. I, I really like when they arrested Dr. Dreyer. Do you have the quote from that? Mm-mm. So when, when officers arrested Ada, right after that, they went to get Dr. Dreyer And they arrest Dr. Dreher, and he is relieved. And he says, quote, I have been expecting you for a week. I knew you would come and get me. This is hell. I have been in hell. Oh, why didn't I do what I had started out to do? Shoot my head off. I waited too long. Wow. Like, as soon as they show up, he's like, I knew I should have fucking killed myself. God damn it. That feels self-incriminating. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Wow. Okay. Now, the working theory at the time that the police were going on was that Beadle was the gunman. And that he had done the, the sort of field dressing of the corpse. So they were thinking Dreher had hired Beadle for the killing. The gun, and I 
feel like this is important, was Dreyer's. It was Dreyer's gun. I just feel like he's not likely to hand his gun over to another man who probably would already have a gun. He's a hunter, trapper type guy. I would think they would both have guns. Several. Yeah. You know? Like, why would he need to give his gun to Beetle? Police do find a knife with rust-colored stains in Beetle's belongings. He's a hunter and trapper, of course. No, no, Amber. He'd been cutting pineapple. Okay. That was his. That was his reasoning for why the the knife was rust stained, rust colored stains. He'd been cutting pineapple. Now the sheriff took the knife all the way to New Orleans, to the city chemist there to have them check it out, and. The chemist said, yeah, it's probably blood, but it'll take me some time to run some tests and get you confirmation. And it, it the trial was done and dusted by the time he had any results. It, they were really moving fast here. The lab wasn't, though. No, the lab was not. But in, in Morgan City, they were just speeding down the, the tracks. So... Ada and Dreher actually signed written confessions on July 8th, although these confessions were definitely more like pointing the finger at Jim Beadle. And Jim Beadle's like, mm, wasn't me, didn't do it. By the end of July, jury selection was ongoing. Now, the defense was not happy with the speed that this trial was going at and a lot of other things. They filed over 100 objections that the judge shot down. Wow. Yeah, right? So the trial was a huge deal. This is that kind of roaring 20s crime with maybe sex and sneakiness and lying and wife beating. And you got some Southern flavor thrown in there with the frog giggers and, you know, swamp and everything. It's a party. People can't resist it. You couldn't get a hotel room in the city where it was tried in Franklin. You just couldn't because everything was all booked up because people were flocking to see this. In the Daily Review... Jean Case tells us, quote, Young men took their dates to court instead of the movie house. Young children were brought to court to meet Ada, the doctor, and Beetle. Well, you know, they're starved for entertainment. Apparently. Now, Ada was at the center of all of this attention. And Shipman tells us that the coverage of Ada portrayed her generally as cold and emotionless, but did seem to kind of evolve over time. And Francine Middleton goes into how the papers criticized Ada's makeup, made it look like she was buying all these new clothes when it was likely that she was borrowing things from family, and called her all these names to characterize her as a scandalous woman, a sphinx, a siren, a Cleopatra. Other newspapers are cited by Shipman with nicknames like The Lady of the Lake, Louisiana's Love Pirate, The Siren of the Swamp, indeed, The Automobile Riding Vampire. Yeah, like what the fuck is that one even? I don't know. I guess they went for a lot of car rides. I don't know. Andrea's Automobile Ride Paramore. It doesn't even have a ring to it. No, it really doesn't. That, zero points to whoever came up with that one. The award for most descriptive goes to Ada, she of the raven tresses and the small, odd 
and ancient eyes, compressed lips and angle iron ways. There was even a song. I don't think I put that in here because I couldn't find the song in its entirety. But it was something about uh, Siren of the Swamp, Don't Weigh Me Down With Your Angle Irons. Oh, wow. And I looked because there's apparently seven verses. I could not find it anywhere. I really wanted that whole song. And I could only get like one line of it. And I'm like, that's not good enough. Oh, and you know, that's probably the best line if that's the one that was extracted. And has that was it. the title. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. So, yeah, most of those nicknames are from the New Orleans Times Picayune. And discussion of her looks stretches across decades and oceans. That article that I've been quoting from the World's News slash Ellery Queen was in the papers in Sydney. That's the World's News was a Sydney paper in 1955. It details the case and tells us this about Ada's appearance. Newspaper photos of Ada LaBeouf at the time of her trial for murder are discouraging. The retoucher and photo engraver were in a hurry and the shapeless garments dictated by the period as high fashion would make Marilyn Monroe look like a model for Mother Hubbard. But it is just possible to make out traces of a spoiling beauty. The bob is pert. The profile oddly like Gloria Swanson's. The figure voluptuous. Only the mouth gives pause. It is as tight as a zipper. Meanwhile, they give us a single line about Jim LaBeouf. Jim LaBeouf was 42, two-fisted, quick-tempered, and popular. Oh, he had two fists. Good for him. Fuck you. I think two-fisted is meant to mean violent. That's, that's my translation of that. I don't know for sure. But when I think two-fisted, I think of put him up. You know, like put up your dukes. That's immediately what comes to mind. So it just seems like kind of natural. But this is the same article from which we get the delightful behind-the-barn obscenity. So yes. We don't know. He was a man. He had two thumbs. They were opposable. (laughs) Well, they they were distinctive thumbs. So they estimated uh, that there were around a thousand people at the first day of the trial after jury selection was completed. The courtroom only had just over 500 seats. Standing room only, folks. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Once the seats were filled, people were packing in there like sardines. And this is in July in Louisiana before air conditioning was a thing. Maybe they have fans and they could do like a swamp cooler. I don't know. No, they probably just had like papers and fanned themselves. It probably reeked of ball sweat. Oh, it was probably absolutely brutal. Just the smell uh, and the heat. Swamps and sweat and all those people. Yeah, it, it did not smell good there. No, no. I'm just going to make it real for you guys. <laughs> It was a bad, bad smell in the courtroom. They were like, let's rush through this trial as quick as possible so we don't have to smell you people anymore. Not just swamp sirens, swamp ass. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Hey there, beloved listeners. If you're enjoying this episode, then you absolutely should check out our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash oldtimeycrimey, which is the absolute best way you can support the show and get something in return. For just $5 a month, you get five bonus episodes a month. On the Patreon, we frequently talk about old-timey crimes you won't hear about anywhere else. 
crimes that have been forgotten by time and erased by history that you won't read about on Wikipedia, Murderpedia, or really anypedia. We also delve into the old newspapers for the wacky wild crimes like the thieving lion tamer and the spaceman intruder. Or talk about strange, delightful customs like nutting day while learning about the time people rioted over cheese. <laughs> so come t- we can't even talk about it in our own promo without giggling. I love nutting day. <laughs> nutting day is the best day. So come check out the Patreon for more of the weirdest, wildest, and most shocking old-timey crime. That's patreon.com slash oldtimey crimey. Where's the link? <laughs> In the show notes. <laughs> I knew I was not going to get through Nutting Day without giggling. There was a general idea in the papers that someone was going to get just desserts. And not just for the murder. This is from the Opelousas News. The murder in itself presents one of the most ghastly affairs in the annals of crime in Louisiana. If the facts are as they appear on the surface... There is little doubt that someone will be punished to the fullest extent of the law. As an example to other illicit love affairs and inevitable exposure, the jury verdict will carry weight throughout every section of the state. To make an example of innocence would be an unpardonable wrong, but to bring quick justice to those who committed the murder of James J. LaBeouf early in July would set precedent to other such cases as might arise in the future. It is the balance of positive and negative, the laws of nature, that the dancer must pay the piper, whatever the cost. So basically what they're saying is, Ada and Dr. Dreher fucked around, and now they're going to find out. They're saying, there's a lot of implication here that if they get the, the worst punishment imaginable, it's not just because of murder, it's also because they had an affair. Yes, and we have to make an example of these awful people. Exactly, yeah. Now, it seems like all three are on trial at the same time, Jim Beadle, Ada LaBeouf, and Dr. Dreyer, and had the same defense team at first, which was a high-powered defense team. It had a uh, senator and a former speaker of the State House of Representatives, and that was just two people who were mentioned. Yes, and, and I mean, they're politicians, so they're obviously wonderful liars. Mm-hmm. They make good lawyers. Well, after three days of trial, Beetle was really starting to catch on that Ada and Dreyer were setting him up for the fall. And so he's like, um, I need my own lawyers and I'm going to confess. Except what he confessed was basically, I didn't do it. <laughs> I love Beetle so much, though, because like when they first arrested everybody... They brought him in, and the doctor looks at him and is like, Beetle, I mean, you might as well tell him what happened. The jig is up. And Beetle goes, I don't know what you're talking about. The fucking gonads on this guy that he's just like, I don't fucking know you. Mm-mm. Nope. No. I know nothing. I, I got nothing. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, so he gives this confession, which we have a lot of the text of, to the sheriff. Now, the newspaper noted some instances of curse words in the confession in parentheses. For instance, let's go that parentheses using curse word Jim LaBeouf. So I'm going to improvise those. We'll make up the curse words. Yeah, yeah. We've only got a couple, but we'll have some fun with it. Here we go. 
On July 1, late in the afternoon, Dr. Dreher came to my house and asked me to go out with him hunting, which I did. When we got well advanced out in that pasture, he told me he had come out here to kill... I'm drawing a blank. Frog fucker? Frog fucker Jim LaBeouf. I said, no, doctor, don't do that. He said, yes, I am going to do it, and if you open your mouth about this, I'm going to kill you. And he made me pull the boat until we met that man, Jim LaBeouf. When we met Jim LaBeouf, Dr. Dreher said, Jim, is that you? And Jim LaBeouf said, yes, who's that? Dr. Dreher had his gun in his hands, and in a moment he fired two shots. Bam, bam. Dr. Dreher said, let's go get that iron in that oak tree. He said, I want to sink that frog fucker in the lake. I I had more at the ready. I was so ready to just be like, cunt snatcher. (laughs) Well, he tied the irons to his head and feet. Dr. Dreher then said, I am going to split him open so that he will never rise and be found. So the doctor and my lawyers want me to say that I did it all in self-defense, but I told them I'd do anything in this world to get out of this trouble. I told them I had not done it. The trial kind of becomes a little bit separated, although it's still together. All three of them are still being tried. It's just with different defense teams. And as far as possible verdicts go, we have a couple of options. The jury could find them guilty, which would result in a hanging. They could find them guilty with a recommendation for mercy, which would mean life in prison. They could find them guilty of manslaughter, which would result in a term of one day to 20 years in prison. Or they could find them not guilty. And any one of these three can get any of these verdicts. It it doesn't have to apply across the board. It's individualized. So there's closing arguments. And Dreher and Ada's attorney, one of them said in his closing argument that the confession was, quote, about the silliest thing I ever saw on paper. He says no one ever saw Ada and the doctor together and sticks with the storyline of they actually kind of change it to, as as the case evolves, they change their story to, oh, well, Jim LaBeouf lured the doctor out there to shoot him. Yeah, like, their stories kept changing. He had threatened their lives. At one point, the doctor said that he was so afraid of Jim LaBeouf that he knew that one of them had to kill the other. That was the only way it was going to end. He was afraid for his life. He couldn't turn the lights on in his house at night because he was afraid that Jim LaBeouf would drive by and shoot him through the windows. So that he really tried to play up that, like, this man is crazy, and he was going to kill one of us or all of us at some point if we didn't do this. This mm-hmm. was self-defense. And I think it's really telling that the three defendants in the courtroom, this is their attitude. They said that Ada was mostly just sitting calmly and watching the clock. Dr. Dreyer was like, mopping sweat off of his brow the entire time, just, like, pouring sweat. To be fair, who wouldn't be? It was probably hot as fuck in there. But then Jim the Trapper, uh, Beetle, Jim Beetle, too many gems. I know, right? We've got just a plethora of gems. Lots of gems here. But Jim Beetle was just sitting there chewing tobacco. And I really just picture him every once in a while just to be a jerk, like, spitting it over towards, like, the other side's lawyers. <laughs> like, I have this idea in my head that he's just kind of a dick. But he's got room to swing it. He's, <laughs> he's got that big duck energy. <laughs> All right, I got to explain that one. Amber and I were out on the deck. It, we were narrating English Bob being really sort of aggressive towards Jackson. 
because it's springtime and he's protecting his girls. And for some reason, he thinks that my husband would like to um, have sex with one of the, the female ducks or something. I don't know. It's, no, it's a he, duck. There's no logic. Just, he's a tough duck because he did this shit to me yesterday mm-hmm. where anytime he thought I was not looking, he'd like come at my ankle. And if I'd look at him, he'd be like, well, I wasn't doing shit. Yeah. As soon as you turn around, he's completely innocent. So, yeah. And I, as we were narrating, I said, well, he's got that big duck energy. He really does. <laughs> he's got the big duck energy. Oh, that English Bob. So the prosecutors are like, we have proved this beyond any sort of reasonable doubt. There's not a shred of doubt. Just go do your thing. And so the jury does. They went to deliberate at 8.52 p.m. And they were back by 10.15. Not long at all. Not even an hour and a half. All three defendants were found guilty. The jury recommended that Ada and Dr. Dreher be sentenced to death at the gallows. And they had a recommendation for mercy for Jim Beadle, which would mean a sentence of life in prison. Now, those are the recommendations from the jury. It seems like the judge is free to do what he wants, but he does follow the jury's recommendations in his sentencing. Two deaths and a life sentence. All the attorneys of the defendants are asking for new trials, and there were movements around Louisiana to get a reprieve for Ada and the doctor. Mostly for Ada and then the, the doctor just because if, if she got one, he had to get one. This is from the world's news again. Southern chivalry recoiled from the thought of a gentlewoman being executed on the common gallows. Women's organizations all over Louisiana tightened their girdles and began a grim crusade for executive clemency. Amber is shaking her head. Tightened their girdles. I like... They just made the time machine list. <laughs> yeah, they did. Yeah, they did. We're going to get our time machine. We're going to go back and we're going to give them a little slap. <laughs> just whoever wrote that article. The ladies tighten their girdles. Don't get your panties a twist. Fuck you. So we've got gird your loins when we got to brace ourselves. And, and now when we, we have a, a tough job ahead or something like that, I'm going to tell you to tighten your girdle. <laughs> You've got that big duck energy. <laughs> I do have that big duck energy. <laughs> She's like puffing her chest out at me. <laughs> like oh, Tightening yeah. my girdle. Yeah. About to, to swing it around. And this seems like a conflict of interest, maybe a little bit, but the wife of Louisiana's chief justice led one of these groups. The state Supreme Court denied new trial pleas, although that same chief justice He agreed with his wife and filed a dissent. The pardon board was looking at commutation pleas from the public. Meanwhile, the governor was signing their death warrants. The execution was scheduled for December 21st, 1928. That governor, by the way, was Governor Huey Long. As soon as I saw that, I was like, I know that name. Saw an unsolved mysteries about him. He was known as the Kingfish. Uh, He would himself be assassinated in a little under eight years at age 42. His assassin was the son-in-law of a judge who Governor, well, at that time then Senator Long, had managed to nudge out using gerrymandering. The assassin got one shot and Long's bodyguards got 60. Wow. Uh, Just a complete, not even a hail of gunfire, a thick, dense fog of gunfire. A dense fog of gunfire. Yes. 
The assassin was also a doctor, as was his father, uh, an ophthalmologist who had once treated the now dead politician. There are other versions of the story, which is why it was on Unsolved Mysteries, in which Long was actually accidentally shot by one of his bodyguards, and it was all a mistake. So, but that was just an interesting little side, side old-timey crimey for you. Side crimey. Old sidey crimey. So the clemency appeals were denied on December 3rd, and the women supporting Ada started working the but she's a mom angle, you know, trying to get that public sympathy for the children and everything. It seemed like that worked. The pardon board had another hearing. They commuted the death sentences, instead giving Ada and the doctor life in prison. But just like with jury sentences, this is a recommendation. Nothing is set in stone here, and the governor had his own mind about how things were going to go. By the way, his motto would later become, I am the Constitution. He's that kind, yeah. So he did let Christmas and New Year's go by, but then on January 4th, he denied the recommendation and the hanging was back on. There's more back and forth here that happens. It's not going to happen. It's going to happen. It's not going to happen. They are reprieved until February 1st, 1929. And then there's this big drama because people are saying that Jim Beadle is going to confess to actually shooting and cutting open Jim LaBeouf. He can't be tried twice for the same crime, so essentially not much would change. The lieutenant governor and Governor Long are kind of in this petty battle over the whole case. And the lieutenant governor hurries to the prison when he hears this. He wants to talk to Jim Beadle. But the governor had ordered the prison to bar all visitors. He was like, well, we've had so many escapes recently, and visitors to the prison are helping those out, so I just can't take the risk. What timing? It makes me so angry that so much of this was politics. Yes, I agree with you. I agree with you, 100%. And Governor Long said, quote, It makes no difference whether Dreher fired the shot or his lackey did it. If there is any miscarriage of justice, it was in, in the failure to hang old Jim Beadle, too. So he's got an opinion. So at this point, it's really happening. There's nothing left that anyone could do to stop the hanging. The two were allowed to say goodbye to each other. The doctor was taken to Ada's cell. He said goodbye, quote, pressed her hand through the bars of her cell. She said goodbye too, breaking into tears, and he said, I hope we meet in the other world, then was taken back to his cell. And that doesn't really seem to me like the parting of two lovers. Yeah, it's it's very much acquaintances who know they're both going to (laughs) die. Maybe decent friends or something, but just there's something about that that really, I mean, it's the end. This is goodbye. You know, so may as well just let it all out if, if you've been secret lovers. Ada wanted her mother, who was 72, to come see her, but her mother sent word that she couldn't make it. And I guess we're going by uh, ladies first, because Ada goes to the gallows first around noon. 
She was said to be cringing and moaning. Supposedly, her last words were about the rope being too tight, but the papers also have her saying stuff like, quote, isn't this a terrible thing? Don't let me hang there too long. Don't let me suffer any more than I have. And this is murder itself. And they bound her legs for dignity, you know, so skirt doesn't show anybody anything. Well, yeah, so they tie the skirt around the knees so it doesn't parachute and mm-hmm. cause a modesty. Mm-hmm. You're you're murdering somebody, mm-hmm. but we don't want to show the knees. Yes, yes, wouldn't want to show the knees or heaven forbid the bloomers. 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 Ada was actually um, breaking a pretty shitty glass ceiling here. She was uh, the first woman in Louisiana history to be hanged in the U.S. at large. And it's really interesting that they feel the need to make the following distinction. She was the seventh white woman and the 25th woman overall. And by the way, one of the newspapers had Pennsylvania being the site of the first execution of a woman in the United States. Uh, Elizabeth Rimby. I couldn't actually find very much about that crime. I didn't dig into the newspapers, but it was like around like 1805, somewhere around there. I saw different dates in different places, so everything was already getting muddy trying to find any information. I'm just going to go ahead and assume that um, that was the first white woman executed in the United States. Because, you know, back then they didn't count other people. So then it was the doctor's turn, and he had the same complaint. I actually do not buy the following quote at all. They say, he said, it's too tight. Do you want me to choke to death? That feels fake. No. So I I think that is fake. And I think it's kind of confused. Because that's what they said. Ada said. Ada said, oh, oh, that rope's too tight. The jailer said that it wasn't. And she said, yes, it is. But they, the newspaper accounts have them both saying that. Yeah, I don't think that happened. Either that or maybe maybe the uh, the hangman was kind of a jerk and was actually just making the rope too tight. Well, I mean, he's a hangman. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about executioners before. And, you know, while there is this sense that some of them can, you know, like kind of compartmentalize and, and leave their work behind when they go home and, you know, collect birds and write diaries and stuff. It also probably is uh, another profession that might attract people who like violence. Yeah, yeah, true. He also wrote that letter before going to the gallows in which he insisted that he and Ada had never been lovers and that both were entirely innocent. His tombstone reads, quote, a forgotten man. Here we are, almost a hundred years later, talking about it. I don't think he was all that forgotten. (laughs) Yeah. Jim Beadle was in prison until 1942. He was let out on parole and just returned to his old life. Hunting, trapping, I think he went back to his family. He died at age 75 in 1955. I mean, really, he, he, (laughs) he lived a much better life. He he got the best, uh, the best deal here. Now... Middleton believes, now she's that local librarian, believes that Jim Beadle was the one murderer. That's her theory. Because she's the one who brings up the fact that Drera was blind in one eye. And she says also Ada didn't know how to use a gun. 
And then she also has the idea that the experience in hunting and trapping would have helped with both the shooting and the field dressing. And as for even today, I mean, generations down the line, uh, Francine Middleton says about the, the local families, quote, there is an understandable silence from the families of Ada LaBeouf and Dr. Dreher, and probably that of Jim Beadle. She said that everyone sort of knew that you don't bring this up with descendants and family members, and the families don't really even talk about it that much amongst themselves. So the one I like the best, did you have a favorite of all the confessions? Because there was a lot of different confessions. I mean, I don't have a favorite necessarily. I, I'm pretty sure that Dreher did it, or it was split between them. Dreher did the shooting, and uh, Beetle, whose knife was found to be bloodstained, did the field dressing. Okay. So here is my theory. Because everybody is just on, on the edge of their seat. They want to know. Yeah. So my favorite confession was from the doctor. After receiving Ada's note, he went to talk to his friend Jim Beetle. And he told Jim Beetle about this. Ada wanted them to meet out on the lake to try to repair the friendship. And he told Jim Beetle that LaBeouf was going to kill him. And Jim Beetle says, you bring that son of a bitch out somewhere and I'll, I will put him away where he will never hurt you or anyone else again. Hmm. He was super loyal to the doctor mm -hmm. because the doctor not only treated him for free, he also had a charity that put, quote, bread on his table and shoes on his seven kids. Wow. So the doctor was helping out Jim Beadle in a lot of ways. And Jim Beadle was very loyal to him and to that friendship because, like you had said before, he was from the other side of the, the tracks. Mm -hmm. And the doctor still treated him with respect and helped him every step of the way. So I think there was some loyalty there. And I think what happened is they went out and there's a lot of stories that Jim LaBeouf fired first. I don't think that's true, but I do think that Jim LaBeouf reached for the gun. And then one of the men shot him twice. Mm -hmm. Don't know which one. Doesn't matter which one. I think it was self-defense either way. But then it's like body tampering, really. I think they should have gone to jail for body tampering. Here's my thought. I don't believe that Ada should have been charged with murder. No. I don't know if they had a conspiracy to commit murder charge available to them. I would imagine they would have. But that's more what she did is, you know, accessory conspiracy. I don't believe you should be charged with murder unless you fired the weapon or, or, or yeah. actually took the killing blow. Because we have free will. Whoever shot Jim LaBeouf was doing it of their own free will. Now, if it's self-defense, like you said, that puts a whole different spin on it. But I just feel like there's so many cases where we see people up in arms when a woman is, is potentially going to be executed and they're upset about it because she was a woman. And I'm like, no, be upset about it because she may have instigated some of this, but she could, should have gotten a much lesser charge. She didn't harm anybody in any way she did send a note to say hey we're gonna be on the boat at eight o'clock and then when they shot her husband and he fell into the water she goes okay see you later going home 
And then never breathed a word about it. Yeah. It just, it feels like there weren't enough gray areas in the law, maybe, to work with that. Although we'd had plenty of time to get those gray areas in. That's what bothers me the most, is that I feel like the charges were incorrect. And it has nothing to do with her being a woman. If she had been the one to fire the gun, absolutely, you know, by the law of the land. I don't agree with execution as a rule, but if that's the law of the land, then okay, charge her with murder. If she's found guilty, potentially execute her. But she didn't commit murder. She didn't. If she did anything, she conspired. Ironically, I feel like a conspiracy case against her would have been weaker than the murder case because they would probably have had to try that separately. Yeah. And once you lump her in with the other two, she looks all the more guilty. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not that I'm saying she was like completely innocent. I'm just saying she didn't murder anybody. She didn't murder anybody at all. And I, I really think if it weren't for all the political bullshit that was going on, mm-hmm. that whenever they found Jim LaBeouf's gun in, in the lake, that they would have given them a new trial. Yeah. Be- because that definitely changes things. He was armed. But this became a political thing yeah. instead of it being about people's lives. It's about, you know, who can score the most points with the public. You know, who, who can... This is why I'm all for anarchy. <laughs> anarchy forever. Here we go. One thing that I found that I thought you might um, get a, a dark kick out of was... As I do. You do. You, you love your dark kicks. There was... Uh, one of the newspapers had its banner headline across the top on the day of the execution was not about the execution. It was about a bunch of uh, employees of some state or local something being uh, fired, being let go because of, I think, budgetary concerns or something. But they've had that banner headline across the top about that. And then underneath it, they had uh, the claimed today by Gallows and then the pictures of uh, Ada and Dr. Dreher. But this is how it looks at first. And I, I just, I cropped it out. So you can just see. Here you go. Employees dropped. Claimed by Gallows. Yeah, it really looks like it's saying that somebody went and and hung a bunch of, or hanged a bunch of employees. (laughs) Like just that little, that little screenshot when you, your eyes first go to that. Because there's pictures there and there's big words. And that the eye just naturally gravitates towards that. So you're like, employees dropped, claimed a day. But Jesus Christ. Oh, okay. (laughs) Like there's a whole, it's a whole roller coaster ride there. So I actually have a little interesting tidbit on uh, something you said, and it relates to one of my favorite cases that we've done. So you had mentioned Elizabeth Rimby. Mm -hmm. She was hanged at Westchester, Pennsylvania, September 3rd, 1808. She was not the first. Okay. The first was Mary Hall in Philadelphia, hanged for burglary in 1781. I found this in an article about Irene Schroeder, who died in the electric chair that we did that balls crazy case. I, crazy Irene with the tits. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. So <laughs> it's actually in an article about that because um, she, Irene was the 27th woman to be legally executed in America since the respective states were chartered. And so in that article, it lists all the ones that came before her. Okay, all right. So yeah, they they I felt like the article that listed those 
other various executions of women was not particularly accurate. Some of the numbers were wrong. Dates were wrong. And in this article is Mrs. Ada LaBeouf. Yeah. First in Louisiana. So, all right, I have a recipe, but um, I, I found another recipe that's horrible, so we're going to have to wait another week for the banana cabbage salad. Banana cabbage. Because this one was a little too perfect because it was 1927. It was Louisiana. And it's pineapple. There we go. So maybe when Jim Beetle was cutting up pineapple, he was going to make some deviled pineapple. This already sounds horrible, but okay, mm-hmm. let's go. Cut six hard-boiled eggs lengthwise. Remove yolks and mix with contents of one buffet-sized can of crushed Hawaiian pineapple. One tablespoon vinegar and one-half teaspoon salt. Pile pineapple mixture in the eggs and serve on lettuce leaves with mayonnaise dressing. Garnish with two tablespoons chopped salted peanuts. That sounds disgusting. None of these things belong together in any way, shape, or form. Why do we have eggs, pineapple, and peanuts? What is happening here? That sounds awful. And then I imagine you're supposed to pick it up and dip it in the mayonnaise. Potentially, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, no, no. So maybe next week you'll get banana cabbage salad. I, yeah, I would, I think I would rather have the banana cabbage. (laughs) It's really a tough call. Do we want pineapple eggs or banana cabbage? (laughs) Let's put all this together in like the worst buffet ever. (laughs) I don't think that we should have parties at your house anymore. (laughs) Damn it. It, It's downhill from here. I've lost my hostess privileges (laughs) because I want to serve deviled pineapples and banana cabbage salad. Well, because, like, a lot of the times when you say these recipes, I'm like, it might not be that bad. Like, I'll probably eat it. And that's really just my life is I'll probably put it in my mouth. Um, but that, no. That's a no. See, that, and that is the fun challenge of this for me. Is, is what won't I put in my mouth? Exactly. What won't Amber put in her mouth? And the answer is deviled pineapples. Well, I'm also allergic to pineapple, though, so... It, it's like a double whammy of gross. Like, yeah. it's gross, and also I'll stop breathing. Pro- problem, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, well, a problem for some people, a <laughs> blessing for others. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's always fun looking at things and being like, hmm, would she hate this? Nope, she'd probably be on board. Damn it. But when yeah. I saw the, the deviled pineapple, I was like, boom, got it. Yeah. And also it containing pineapple and being in Louisiana, because I did look up... <laughs> And when he said that he'd been cutting pineapple, I was like, did they have a lot of pineapple in Louisiana in 1927? So I actually did look up pineapple in that year in Louisiana, and there were plenty of references to it in the paper. So I was like, yes, they did. They weren't weren't like in the Dark Ages. (laughs) But there was a period of time many centuries ago, and mostly in England, when pineapples were a new novelty thing, and only rich people could have pineapples. Well, even now, from what I understand, I used to work with a, a girl from Hawaii, and she would go back to visit her mom every year, and she'd come back with Hawaiian pineapples. And they are, like, super different than the ones that we get in the store. Hmm. It's like a commodity to get the real Hawaiian pineapples, and they're supposedly so much better, sweeter, awesome, I don't know. Again, can't eat them, but mm-hmm. I hear great things. Uh 
but yeah, so like it's it's just really different what you actually get where they're grown and what we see in the grocery store. But it's just like if if you have a garden, the food you get out of your garden is completely different than the stuff you buy at the grocery store. And even like from place to place, it varies. Like when we were in France, oh God, I'm getting hungry just thinking about it. Even after having talked about deviled pineapple, like the the produce, the potatoes, the tomatoes, all that stuff tasted different. Yeah. It just tastes different. Well, and imagine how many other, like people in other countries probably think the food that we eat is disgusting and grotesque. Oh, they cannot believe our bread. It's so packed with sugar. Like they, they, all American food is full of sugar. Well, yes, yes. So they, they can't believe most of our food, but our bread is frequently called out as how the hell do you people eat that? And at the same time, like I hear things that I know should turn me off. And instead I'm like, where can I find that to, to eat it? Deep fried mayonnaise. You have no idea how badly I want to try deep fried mayonnaise. I still cannot understand how you deep fry mayonnaise. You have to like uh, liquid nitrogen little mayonnaise nuggets and then bread it and then fry it. And so that way, like when it's cooked, you bite into it and it's like ooey gooey. Mayonnaise nuggets. Mayonnaise nuggets. What a day to have ears. Yeah. I really want to try it. Like <laughs> Paula Dean lives inside my soul. <laughs> Apparently. And like you want to deep fry butter or mayonnaise? I'm game. Let's do this. <laughs> Wrap it in bacon too. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my God, I just came a little. <laughs> deep fried mayonnaise with bacon outside. I really ah. want some bacon. I don't know about that deep fried mayonnaise, but I want some bacon. All right, what are you doing this week? I'm going to try to figure out how the fuck to deep fry some mayonnaise and wrap it in bacon. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> awesome. Uh, I have my second appointment with the acupuncturist, which, uh, my new acupuncturist. It's I still want needles in your face and pictures. I know you do, but it's hard to it's hard to pull that off. Um, she did put one needle in my face and my forehead, but I couldn't handle that because I don't like things touching my forehead. Uh, I'm weird like that. But she did, within 30 seconds of meeting me, inform me that I am an overthinker to an extreme degree, and that is her putting it nicely. And um, I want to meet this lady. That, I want to know what she thinks of me. I, I really picture somebody like reading my mind and then screaming and running away. Yeah, it very much felt like, I, I think it took my therapist like a year or two to figure that out. <laughs> like, holy hell, woman. She's Jesus. in the wrong line of work. She should be a therapist. Yeah. So I want to um, meet her. I feel like I feel like it might be helping, but I also have an appointment with my um, neurologist at the pain clinic to potentially talk about getting a tens unit installed in my back. So, like, it's like a tens unit. Uh, it's it's electrical stimulation. So I might be electric. Woogie 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 woogie. <laughs> Every time you say that, I'm going to do the electric slide. That's fine. I will encourage this. That is the only dance that I'm very good at. I can see, I can imagine that. I don't that, know that well, I've ever seen you do the electric slide in our many years of friendship. I'm sure that it's played at a wedding. <sighs> Maybe. I guess so. Somebody get married so I can keep an eye on this. <laughs> Somebody get married and invite us. Yeah, do that too. Yeah. <laughs> and play electric slide. Because <laughs> I think the last wedding we were at was Julie's. Yeah, that was. And I can't remember if, we, if they played the electric slide. No, because we drank a lot. We drank a ton. She put us in the corner by the bar. She knew. She knew. She knew where to put us. She was Probably smart. my favorite pictures, too, that, like, I've taken were from Julie's wedding. Yeah, yeah. There were some great pictures from that. So, anyhow. Okay. Um, 
Yeah, all the stuff to support us is in the show notes, uh, links to everything. Don't forget about the Patreon. And if you have any old recipes, you can email them to oldtimeycrimey at gmail.com. And, um, yeah, I guess that, that wraps it up for this week. So, um, Somebody get married, invite us to the wedding, and make sure you play the electric slide. That is one thing. So that Amber can rock that shit. Uh, don't forget Amber's crime tips of the day. <laughs> if you're going to weight down a body, uh, eventually it will decompose and they'll float. Old-timey crimey assumes no legal responsibility for any actions you may take under Amber's advisement. Just saying, guys. Member FDIC. If anyone wants some crime advice, give me a ring. I got you. So um, I, I think I think this week, instead of saying don't do something, we'll be more positive and say maybe remember if there's been some flooding recently. Take that into account. Pay attention to currents. That's yes. important. Mm-hmm. Very mm-hmm. important stuff. Water conditions. Yeah. Why, yeah. If you're going to hide a body in water, you got to pay attention to water conditions. Yeah. You might want to. You might want to. So. All right. That's it for us. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. My sources were Psycho USA by Harold Schechter. This next book I'm going to mention is the one that I was talking about earlier that I didn't want to mention because the title is The Penalty of Is Death. And that kind of gives away <laughs> that somebody is going to be executed. But it's U.S. newspaper coverage of women's executions by Marlon Shipman. Uh, the Wikipedia articles on the Great Flood and Huey Long. Find a Grave by Cynthia F. Daigle. Adrian Quinlan on NOLA.com and from newspapers.com, The Daily Review by Jean L. Case, The Daily Advertiser, and from Trove, the Australian newspaper archive. Ooh, we should look at them for recipes. Mm. The World's News. My sources this week are Psycho USA by Harold Schechter. Thank you, Paul. ExecutedToday.com, Hub Pages by C.C. Brooks, TrueCrimeLibrary.com, and Rodiva. And he was a super, I can't fucking talk today. Um.